Welcome, welcome. You're listening to our podcast, Two Massage Therapists and a Microphone. My name is Mark. I'm a registered massage therapist, registered kinesiologist here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And I've been excited about this for a while. We have Andrew from the RNTAO. He's in our space today, sitting down in our office, sporting a headset, some glasses. Give me this look of seriousness right now. <laughs> anyway, so I'm sitting here with Amanda as well, my partner in crime. Um, uh, why don't you guys introduce yourselves? Let the masses know about yourself. All right, everyone. It's Amanda, and I'm not going to say anything, actually. I'm going to let Andrew do the talking and introduce himself. All right. Let me introduce myself. My name is Andrew LaWarren. I'm the Executive Director of the Registered Massage Therapist Association of Ontario. I have been an RMT for over 20 years now. Uh, graduated in 97. And uh, for a number of years, I worked in a couple of different uh, settings. I started off uh, back when massage therapy could be covered by OHIP if you worked under the direct supervision of a doctor. So I started off working in the Dufferin Mall Medical Center, um, which was interesting because it meant that I was doing 15-minute massages for eight hours a day, five days a week. So that was my intro in order to get my hands and arms seasoned. Um, then I did some work with Sutherland Chan. Uh, I opened my own clinic in 2003-2004. Uh, um, and I had that at Young and Eglinton. Prior to that, uh, I worked for uh, the CMTO. I was the examinations officer. So I was in charge of the provincial examinations, uh, the entry to practice examinations. I've worked as uh, an expert witness for the CMTO from 2003 up until gee, 2010, 2009. I taught at Humber College uh, for five years. I taught uh, ethics, codes of conduct and legislation, communications, interpersonal and professional, and entrepreneurship. I was on the board of the RMTAO as the vice chair. Uh, yeah. You know what? How, how did you get started with the RMTAO? Like, how do you go from the practices that you've had, you know, working in the field to uh, working with the CMTO, working at the CMTO to now the RMTAO? Well, the RMTAO approached me and asked if I wanted to be on the board. And that was all based from the work that you were doing with the CMTO? Yeah, that was, uh, that was basically where that came from. It's, uh, they were looking for people with specific skills and uh, they wanted to have my skill set on the board. So they brought me into the board, got elected in, um, and then they eventually uh, voted me in as vice chair. Uh, and then I left um, when the uh, ED that preceded me, uh, Bryn, resigned uh, from the organization. Um, and I thought, well, why not? Um, I have a pretty good idea where I think the profession needs to go. So they interviewed me and then uh, gave me a call and said, do you want the job? So that's kind of how I got there. Um, the examination officer with the college is because part of the time uh, when I, uh, prior to graduating, um, I worked with the International Medical Graduate Program, um, where I would write uh, OSCE cases for them. I was part of their cross-cultural communication um, uh, table and their interprofessional communications table. Uh, and then I was also a trainer, a patient trainer. So training folks in how to present with the, uh, the difficulties that the, the uh, international medical graduates were supposed to uh, cope with. And then I also was doing, uh, it's another whole exam for doctors that they have to do in order to get their MD. Um, so when the job came up at the college around, uh, around this, I remembered my experience uh, when I graduated from Sutherland Chan and then went to do my uh, entry to practice exams. And I felt that the entry to practice exam could, uh, could do with a bit of a facelift. And I had, uh, I had some experience in that. So I went in and talked to, at the time, Deborah Orett, and, uh, and they hired me a couple of days later. Right on. Yeah. Um, just as a side note, because I just thought of it now, what do you think of the entry to practice exam now? Like, what was it like when you did it? Well, I mean, when I, when I did it, it was, they held the exam at uh, Ryerson in the, when Ryerson was still a college, that's how old I am. Um, and it was, it was held in, in the uh, uh, student dormitories. Um, it was, uh, I think there were two or three examiners uh, in my room. Uh, at one point, I think there was even an examiner on the table. Um, so what that told me is that it had a bit of a lack of focus. Um, 
it's called an objectively structured clinical evaluation for a reason. You need to be able to objectively say, yes, they did that and they proved that they have the entry to practice competencies. So I saw my job as going in and making sure that the process itself was more objective and was allowed to be more objective. Um, so one of the things that I had always said uh, before I went in was you can only have one examiner in the room because as soon as you have more than one examiner in the room, you end up with one Uber examiner because one person will always end up taking the lead if there's ever any kind of question. So from my point of view, to have uh, four stations, I think it was four when I did it, uh, with two examiners, the thinking was, well, I gave you eight objective results. It didn't. It gave you four, really. Um, so I was more concerned that, in fact, we expand the ability to have an objective viewpoint. So I insisted that there only be one examiner per room, and then I also wanted to put in, I, took, I expanded it up to, uh, I think at one point I had it up to 11 stations. Yeah, I think when yeah. I did it, there was, I think there was like 14 stations, but two of them were rest stations. And then there was also a video station prior to, this is when they used to rent out the floors at whichever hospital it was. Yeah, that's I, what I, I started. Yeah, so there was like uh, yeah. 14 stations. I think two of them were rest stations. And then there was a video station with everyone prior yeah, to you had to that's watch what, a video. That was, what, that was what we put in place. Um, what they've shown in the research, specifically a, a, a woman who's since retired, she's one of my favorite people, was Dr. Cleo Boyd. Uh, and she showed that you can objectively test communication if you have 15 stations with one examiner in each station. And in fact, if you do the medical exam, if you don't pass their communication global, you don't get your MD. So that to me is something that I think as a, as a profession we actually lack. We should be testing professional communication to a much greater degree because let's face it, when you go to work in the morning, primarily what you're doing is investigating what's happening with your patients. And that doesn't mean that you have this inert piece of flesh on your table. You have a living, breathing individual. Um, and we now know, given all of the work that's come out to the biopsychosocial model of pain, we now know that so much of what happens is mediated by you know, the, the, the peripheral and central nervous system that you need to understand exactly what it is that you're affecting as you work. And that means you need to engage in communication. And if you can't engage in effective communication, I would hazard a guess that you may not be engaging in the most effective healthcare delivery. So that's a, it's a personal bugbear of mine. Uh, I know there are lots of people who think there are other things that are equally important. And in fact, they may be, or they may be more important. But from my perspective, that professional communication is a really big piece that we as a profession need to address. It's one of the reasons why I like the new quality assurance program, the direction it seems to be taking. Um, for too long, I thought that the quality assurance program treated us like students. It said, we need you to provide us with proof that you have collected this many category A and category B CEUs. And so what it seemed to do for me was it meant people were we're grabbing education along this broad swath, but not necessarily so deep, which very much is what entry to practice is about. Entry to practice gives you competence. It doesn't give you excellence or mastery. Entry to practice, at the end of it, it's saying you are ready to go treat clients safely and effectively. That's right. Not not, not even sure if it, not even not sure, sure if effectively, effectively yeah. is actually <laughs> proven safely because they don't and actually test outcomes. They don't test outcomes. They test. Do you have the tools to get to that potential outcome? Right. So safely, I think is 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 really the the focus of an entry to practice do, exam. Do as little harm as possible. Well, essentially, do no harm. Or if there is harm, it needs to be harm that's fully explained to the person, right? And that, that's another piece that I often would see in student clinics where, uh, where, where students would not be uh, taught in how to say to a patient, this might hurt a little bit. Um, and it kind of needs to sometimes. Um, and so you, that, then you have the beginning of that misunderstanding and the beginning of that miscommunication, uh, which can build to uh, obviously a negative result. 
But this new quality assurance program, I love the fact that it's taking a look at um, practice competencies, not entry to practice competencies, but practice competencies. And what's your journey? I mean, if you've been out for 20 years, you probably have a pretty specific kind of practice. And you're probably dealing with a level of mastery at that practice, you know? And you're probably also doing something like if somebody walks in and says, you know, I've just been, uh, uh, you know, I'm on a bunch of steroids because I've just been diagnosed with stage four breast cancer and it's, it's moved into my brain and I now have four growths in my brain. That may be the day that you turn around and say, you know what, primarily my focus has been on something totally different, in which case I'm the wrong person for you to see. But let me find you the right person, right? And so you can do that. So you prove mastery not only by what you treat, but, but what you don't. Right? So how you run your practice. So I, I, I like the direction it's moving in. We haven't got a lot of specifics on it yet, but I like the competencies they have in place. Um, I know Dr. Kane is working on it, so yeah. we'll see. See, my fear for something like that is mm -hmm. a therapist will, will take it and kind of run run in a direction that it wasn't intended for. So I can see a therapist hearing hearing that or reading that and then thinking to themselves, well, I can let certain foundational knowledge leave because this is not the standard of what I, I, I this is not what my practice looks like. Mm -hmm. And therefore, you know what, I don't necessarily need to hang on to certain knowledge that I should have working at all times as an RMT because if I can recognize signs and symptoms and realize, you know, this is not typically what I do, I will just refer out. That's my only fear when it comes to this. And I think it's a valid fear, but I think it is to some extent addressed by what is actually available to the regulator, because if you do that, and in doing so, you actively harm someone and they complain, then the regulator has a, a duty to investigate that and to say, Mark, you're supposed to know this stuff. Why, why didn't you? What and so it'll be an identified lack, right? And then my hope is that they would say, we're interested in some remediation around this so that it's so that it's fixed and the way that they're looking at tracking it so the the uh, um, the pieces that they're using every every time that you put forward your plan or you talk about what it is that you've done that's all saved in your file with the college and it is tracked so they're going to track all of that so their their mechanism for measuring all of this is going to be much different than it was previously um but I, I absolutely understand that as a, as a concern because, sure, that, that worries me a lot. Of course, there's going to be, there's going to be people who, who do take it all in, in a complete direction that it wasn't intended to go. But... Well, they've already started doing – I mean, some of them have already started doing that anyway. Yeah. I mean, we see on social media the initial response to, to what they put forward as the new quality assurance program. The immediate response was, oh, good, I don't have to take yeah. courses oh, anymore. Yay. And I, I don't have to pay out all of that money. Yeah. That's not actually yeah. true. Um, you don't collect CEUs. No, you don't. You don't collect numbers. But you, that's right. But you do have to demonstrate that you are moving forward in, you know, your professional responsibility. So I, I'm kind of a, I, I'm kind of a fan of what they have so far. We'll see what the end product looks like. But yeah, I think it's. Uh, and they they talked about just yesterday uh, at the uh, council meeting. Uh, they put forward a. Uh, 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 piece that they're developing on practice resources. So they're looking to expand that a great deal. And uh, Angie Brennan, I believe, uh, was talking about it. And that's quite exciting too. So there's, they're, they're stepping up their game and they're expecting us to step up our game as well. Um, so I'm, I'm happy about that. There's other things I'm not so happy about, but... Like know, what? What else? Uh, well, like the fee increase wasn't too pleased about that. We had suggested that they spread that out over a couple of years. We understood from the numbers why they said they needed the increase. Uh, so and, you know what? Before, and they do. Before we jump right into that, mm -hmm. because we do have um, members of our audience that are not from Ontario, that are from different parts of Canada right. and the United States. Um, let's talk about what the fee schedule was like before and then, you know, kind of what it is now. And then let's let's get into you know, what the CMTO, the College of Massage Therapists of Ontario, their, their rationale behind the increase. Prior to 2009, um, you had a set amount. I can't remember exactly what it was. I think it was 325 or $335 for registration. In 2009, it was noted that there was uh, uh, 
there was a need for uh, more services. There was because you had an, an, an increasing number of RMTs. So the more RMTs you have, the more administrative costs you have. So there was a big bump in 2009 of $150, which brought it up to, I think at that time, uh, it was five, uh, 535, 545. Um, and it's, uh, currently it sits at, and you'll have to remind me because it's been a while since I've, I've looked, but I think it sits at 575 right now. Something like that. Um, uh, no, I think it's actually less than that. My apologies. I always get this wrong in my my board chair. No, I think you're in the right area. It's like it's like five seventy something, five eighty something. It's it's just it's just shy of six hundred. Anyway, they have now identified uh, that they need to have another large jump. The reason for that jump is to make sure that they have a three month cushion. So they have three months operating costs. So that should something catastrophic happen, they can take care of all of their outstanding contracts. Um, and that includes the outstanding contracts they would have with RMTs as well. And that makes sense. That's just normal business planning. It is actually a normal business practice to have that. Um, the difficulty, though, is that there are a lot of RMTs that, uh, number one, are not full-time practitioners. So they, ha- they are a bit close to the bone financially. Um, and so this represents a relatively large increase for, for, for those folks. Um, and that can be a bit of a problem when it comes time to, did you set aside enough money through the year? Um, typically, we recommend that you start setting money aside January 1st for when you have to pay your dues in, on November the 1st. Um, and I mean, just to remind everyone, it is actually tax deductible, right? It, the CMTO membership fee is tax deductible. Registration fee is tax deductible. The RMTAO membership fee is tax deductible. Your liability insurance is tax deductible. You know, keep your eye on that. And since we're into this a little bit in terms of the finances, the HST is not yours. Set it. It never was. Set it aside. The issue with the HST is credibility more than anything else. It's not actually about money from the RMT's point of view, or at least it shouldn't be. It may be from the patient's point of view, because you're actually reducing access for the patient because you're reducing the amount of money that they can bring to the table. That's, you know, the real issue for us and the credibility of why are we one of, I think, two uh, regulated health professionals in the province of Ontario that have to collect and remit HST. Uh, So anyway, back to the CMTO. So the CMTO needed to gather that money. Um, They needed to gather that money because when the government introduced Bill 87, the Protecting Patients Act, the requirements for the regulatory colleges increased. So they need to be a lot more transparent, which means they need to uh, collect and do a lot more data, you know, drilling down in terms of data. They need to be able to... uh, enforce everything through their legal system. Um, And that legal system now has several pieces that are mandatory. They don't actually have any choice in what they have to do. And each one of those costs money, each one of those proceedings. So we, they understood uh, and they put forth their uh, financial position. Um, The financial position, I understand. The implementation, I think, could have been done over two years to reduce the amount of the impact on a great number of RMTs. They have chosen not to do that. Um, I disagree with them. I think they should have. It would have put them one year later in achieving that three-month cushion. Uh, There was quite a strong uh, debate uh, in council around this yesterday, but at the end of the day, the motion was passed to institute change the bylaw and institute this. One of the, what, so is there any silver lining in any of this? Yes, there's one in particular, uh, and this is actually a fairly big one, which is that they are no longer required by their bylaws to have an increase. So there could be a year or two years where they decide they're not even going to raise it by the cost of living. They don't need to. They can do that now. They couldn't do it before. The bylaw, as it stated before, said you have to have an increase. So regardless, there would have been an increase. Um, What they've done is they've gathered the money in order to expand uh, their ability to bolster against catastrophe. And 
they are able now as well to increase the number of staff in order to deal with the increase in the number of RMTs, because we're now up to 14,000, 14,300 um, in the province of Ontario. That's a lot of registrants to administer. Um, yeah, so so that's one thing that I'm not terribly happy about, but you know, that's uh, there's not much uh, that we can do about that right now. Um, it doesn't help that uh, we only represent 41 to 43 uh, percent of of the uh, profession in Ontario. Um, the louder the voice, the more impact it has. Can we get into the history of the association a little sure. bit? Because I, I think it's I think it's I think it's a good school lesson, especially for newer RMTs that don't even know that the association wasn't always called the Registered Massage Therapist Association of Ontario. No, it was not. And in fact, the association was established in 1936. Um, probably what's necessary to know is that up until 2010, we were the Ontario Massage Therapist Association, so the OMTA. Um, at that time, uh, it was the, and that's when I joined the board, actually, was when it was the OMTA. Um, at that time, uh, we were looking at a uh, uh, reduction in uh, membership uh, for a number of uh, for a number of reasons, um, and that's when we decided to go with a totally different membership model. What's what's it called a pick and pay? Um, so right now, uh, in 2010, we rebranded into the Registered Massage Therapists Association of Ontario, and now you pay a membership fee which is basically $110. And then you get to decide what else you want to add on to that. Right. Now, obviously, the, the, the biggest plus for most of our members is the liability insurance because it's the cheapest in Canada. Um, and it's a comprehensive plan. It's extraordinarily good because, it's, you know, if you go through the portal to get the treasurer insurance, you've got unlimited legal consultation that you can make. I mean, that, that's that alone because... Any lawyer worth their salt is going to be between $350 and $550 an hour. So you tell me. You want to have somebody talk to you about potentially your new contract? You're going to talk to them for what will amount to about an hour? That's $350. Bucks. That's more than you're paying for the membership to the OMTA and the liability insurance. So it's kind of a no-brainer. Um, but unfortunately, it just doesn't. people just don't seem to be... Um, some people just not seem to be interested in that, which is unfortunate because I think it make make a big difference for a lot of folks if they realize that they could have access to that kind of material. The other reason, uh, I mean, when we rebranded, we rebranded with obviously new logos, etc. So uh, the board of directors uh, uh, that uh, that came into being uh, with the OMTA has continued all the way through. Um, and it continues to this day as part of the RMTAO. Um, but the rebranding was uh, was really important because it allowed us to, in, in a lot of ways, start from scratch on what it is we wanted to do and to demonstrate what it is that we did. So um, we're the main advocate for the profession in Ontario. And you may not think that you need an advocate, but that's partly because we've been doing it all along. So... If you take away an advocate, then you take away your presence at the table around motor vehicle accident, around WSIB, for the government, for the insurance industry, because they don't want to talk to individual RMTs. Exactly. They just don't. It's not the way government works. It's not the way consultancy works. So they want to talk to somebody who represents a lot of RMTs. So we represent you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of 6,000 active members. And if you include in the students who will hopefully then become active members, 66, 6,700 um, at last count before we started renewal. So you need to have a presence at the table. If you don't, it will cost you money. So you could say with a large degree of certainty that we actually put money in your pocket. We make sure that you get money in your pocket. Remember that extended healthcare insurance in a general sense, makes up about 75 to 85% of an RMT's income, okay? If they reduce those benefits, that's money directly out of your pocket. So part of our job is to make sure that they don't. So we sit down with insurance companies like Greenshield, like Sun Life, um, like you know, Great West Life, and we talk to them. We talk to them about the, why they should include massage therapy. And we've been pretty successful at doing it. 
Remember that massage therapy is the single uh, most used paramedic benefit after dental, drugs, and eyewear. So more people see massage therapists than see chiropractors and physiotherapists, for example, occupational therapists, certainly. So we need to have that presence because we need to maintain that. If you don't have the table, have the presence at the table, the possibility of maintaining that becomes far, far less. And that takes money directly out of your pocket. For sure. And if you want to hit real numbers, I mean, do you guys remember when WSIB paid out, what, $14? Yeah, yeah. And we just had another increase last July. Um, and they just got in touch with me, what, three days ago, because they, uh, they've they asked me to come down and be part of their fees advisory committee. Nice. So that's one of the tables that you want to be at, because if you're not there, then you're not there. And they're not going to think about you when they start looking at fees. Same thing with the motor vehicle accident world. You need to be part of the coalition, the health coalition, um, that, uh, that talks to uh, the government, that talks to the insurance regulator, that makes sure that when they put the word massage into the COTE report, for example, that has, talks about potential programs of care in, w, in uh, MVA work, um, that you pipe up and you say, actually, in Ontario, it's called massage therapy. That's the protected term. That's the term you need to use because massage can be done by anyone. And you should be using the term massage therapy because that's what you want. You want knowledgeable touch. That's what it's about. So you need... You need an advocate at the table. We're that advocate. You know, so we're, we're looking at, at uh, actually making sure that, that, that people uh, become much more aware of what it is that we're doing. That's why we've increased so dramatically our, our, our communications through the Facebook group, through our Facebook page, through Twitter, um, making sure through our e-blast, the Friday file, massage therapy today, making sure that people know what it is that we're doing. So, for example, on November 26th um, this year, we have our very first Queen's Park Day, where we're going to go down, 24 of us are going to go down, and we're going to have breakfast. And at breakfast, we're going to have a speaker from the, from the government or from the opposition. We're going to go to question period. We're going to be introduced um, by our host, MPP, which, and this is important. This is another one of those pieces that a lot of people don't think about. Um, but that puts you on what's called the Hansard record. And Hansard is uh, a record of everybody that has uh, been spo- that's spoken to the government or has been invited or have been welcomed by the government. So when researchers then uh, put together a, a search that says, how many times has massage therapy come up at the legislature in Ontario? We're there. Whereas before, we never were. So if you were never mentioned the legislature, what effectiveness can you actually say that you have? Well, now we can say we do because of that. So we're going to do that, and then we're going to have lunch, have another speaker, and then we're going to do meetings all afternoon with MPPs, and we're going to bring all of our issues forward to government. We're going to have, uh, we've developed leave-behinds for all of these folks, um, and I'm quite looking forward to the discussions that we have. We did the same thing last, uh, well, last winter and spring when I met with, oh boy, it was a lot of uh, a lot of folks, and somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, 22 MPPs, and then there were uh, somewhere between 10 and 15 organizations that we met with, like the Toronto Central Lynn, which is the administrative hub of the local health integrated networks across Ontario, where they wanted to know what function can you have in terms of the opioid crisis. Um, to which I replied, well, if the opioid addiction is due to chronic pain, we can have a great deal to do with that because we can assist in managing chronic pain. Um, and that's become a, a quite a large focus for any one of our, our members. You can take a look on our Facebook page and whenever it comes up, you'll see a lot of the same people talking about it because they're beginning to include in their practice the biopsychosocial model of pain, um, <clears throat> which to my mind is all, all to the good. It's fantastic. In fact, that's what our conference this year is going to be about in, uh, uh, on June 1st uh, of 2019. It's a conference on the biopsychosocial model of pain. So we're still firming up contracts with keynote speakers and presenters. Yeah, we saw the, the, yeah. the blast looking for presenters. Yeah, well, we, I, think we've got, I think we've got them uh, pretty close to set. 
Uh, I'm not sure. That's uh, uh, another individual in the office, another staff member who takes the lead on that. Um, but it's looking, uh, it's looking really exciting, frankly. Um, conferences are always exciting when you get these wonderful people coming together and interacting and working together. It's, it's, it's wonderful. So we're going to do that. Um, and I'm, uh, I'm really excited about the government day because I want to be able to sit down with the members of the legislature and talk through what it is that we can do for them. And that's what it's about, is what can we do for them, not what can they do for us. What can we do for them? They have responsibility to the public in Ontario. So, and they're, part of their responsibility is the delivery of healthcare. How do we help them with that? Because if we don't give them suggestions on how we can help, they're not necessarily going to come looking for us. You know, there's a lot of other players in this field. We need to make sure that we have a presence there. So then you come back to what does the RMTAO do for you? The RMTAO is down there. It's a presence. It's letting you know what we can do. It's letting the public know what we can do. It's all about showing the value. Um, and so, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's a lot of different ways that, that, uh, that we do that. We also do it through our membership in the uh, Canadian Massage Therapist Alliance. We just had a meeting uh, last, all last weekend. I was out in Winnipeg meeting with these guys. And um, it was a really interesting meeting. We did a lot of strategic planning around how we're going to uh, take a look at national issues. Uh, and of course, HST is one of them. Um, and so we're, we're really kind of excited that everybody's going to get on the same page and start moving forward with that. We've already done the environmental scan that we, we did this last year. And so that's a, a piece of the puzzle that we need to have in place when we talk about the HST. Uh, there are a whole bunch of other pieces that have to be in place. One of those is meetings with the federal government. That needs to happen from a national perspective. Um, so that means that the CMTA has to be meeting with them. Yes, the RMTAO will also meet with them, but we'll probably meet with them through the CMTA because right now our board chair is the chair of the CMTA uh, and I'm the secretary for the CMTA. So two RMTAO members are part of the four-man management team. That's essentially the executive of the CMTA. Um, so this all you know, dovetails in together and becomes really important that we do all this work together. Uh, and one of that, well, you know, part of that work with the CMTA is making sure that we provide resources and we provide assistance in trying to get other provinces regulated. So really and truly, it's all about creating these team efforts. And if, you, if you're not doing that, if you're trying to go alone, you're just not going to be as effective. Exactly. It's just not going to work. There well, is. there's always strength in numbers. Unless you're playing <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, so I... I what else can I tell you? What else would you like to know? So what's the campaign that you guys have going on right now? Uh, because the membership renewal date is the end of September. Yeah, September so, 30th is the is the closeout date. Cool. And I've been seeing on Facebook, um, you guys have this marketing campaign around attracting new members. Maybe mm -hmm. you can speak to that. Well, um, you know, it's the, uh, it's the dare campaign. So we dare you to bring somebody into the association. We dare you to speak up as to why you're part of the association. Um, and I think it's really important because there are any number of RMTs out there who fully appreciate what it is that the RMTAO does. Um, but RMTs tend to be fairly solitary animals, right? We have our own little silos because, you know, I go to work at 7.15 in the morning and I go in and I shut that door and I turn the lights on and I get ready to treat and I pull my files and I go through all of those and or maybe get a cup of coffee or a cup of tea or a glass of water, whatever it is that you want. Uh, and then, you know, I open the door, my patient arrives, and I treat all day, and then I go home, and I have some food, and I go to bed because I'm tired because it's really, you know, it's hard work. Um, so you don't spend a lot of time interacting, you know. And so a lot of the time that knowledge transfer doesn't happen. Right. So the D.A.R.E. campaign is about knowledge transfer. Tell somebody you know who's an RMT that's not a member why you're a member and dare them. And it's part of the reason why we did the whole reboot of the CBNs back when I first started in the job, the community-based networks. Right. Because it's, it, it is so vitally important that we create these, these relationships, these, you know, the, these, these forums where we can get together and communicate. 
because quite frankly, nobody knows everything. So why not make use of the people that are looking at stuff that you may not have had the time to look at? Why not have those conversations? You know, it's, and there's some really effective CBNs. There's other CBNs that have difficulty meeting. There are some CBNs that have a great, you know, show of, of folks. There are others that have challenges doing Yeah, that. we have a challenge here. So we're Toronto East, yeah. and we've been going to uh, a bunch of them. We've actually hosted a couple, but the, the numbers just aren't huge. So we actually decided uh, the other half of what we do at uh, Two Massage Therapists and Microphone is Con Ed Institute, our continuing education company. And we decided really kind of last minute last night to, to let's host a networking, edu- a free networking education. And the ad went out today. And we the have an idea today. and we're... We're done. Yeah, so we, yeah, so we it. we have a couple guest speakers that are coming yeah. in, and we're looking to host that uh, that networking education night. At least, and you know, we want it to be the first of many. We're thinking it at least to do this once a quarter, and for that exact reason, getting people together and just to talk about things that maybe you don't have the opportunity to talk about. Because as you said, we we work alone. Yeah, and I think that's a fantastic initiative. I I, I love it. I. I I wish more folks were able to do that. I'm going down to London, Ontario this Saturday to uh, to join uh, Danny at her CBN and and uh, and hopefully have a chat with some RMTs down there. Um, but you know, it's I I I'm I'm a huge fan of community because I honestly believe if you get community together, the kind of support that you can garner from that is just huge, and it will make a huge difference in your practice because suddenly you'll think to yourself one day. I should actually give that a try because that this something is not responding. I'm not getting the outcome that I want here. Mm -hmm. So rather than following through on the definition of insanity, which is continuing (laughs) to do the same thing over and over over again and, and expecting a different result. Why not? You know what? We were over there. I heard Amanda talk about this thing that she did. I understood it. Let me think back. Okay, good. Let's give it a shot. Let's see if that works. I mean, RMT is like any profession. You can become complacent. You said you've been a therapist for over 20 years. You know what you've been doing. And majority of the time, what you're doing probably works and works really well. Otherwise, you wouldn't have been successful to Mm -hmm. this point, right? But it's having other people maybe open your eyes to something you didn't think about. Absolutely. I had a, when I was working, when I had my clinic up at Young and Eglinton, um, for a few years, uh, when I was on the second floor, I had uh, five other therapists that were working there, uh, only two of which were RMTs. The others were a uh, naturopath, a uh, traditional Chinese medicine practitioner, um, uh, and for a while, an osteopath. Um, and then when I moved upstairs, I downsized because the administration was starting to take away from my practice, and I didn't want that to happen at that time. I moved upstairs. I just moved upstairs with my business partner, Randy, who was an RMT Uh, and an osteopath candidate. But what I realized when I did that is that I've been doing techniques that I was shown by the naturopath, by the osteopath, by uh, Randy, by the traditional Chinese medicine practitioner. I was doing stuff that I had been taught by my uh, my Tai Chi Sifu, um, who did uh, what he called hitfall medicine. And hitfall medicine literally came about through if you're going to knock somebody down, you should be able to stand them back up again. So they were, it was very much a, a, an application of folk medicine, folk, tradi- uh, folk medicine traditions in the uh, uh, Chinese Tai Chi world. Um, you, can, you can grab things from anywhere, you know, and apply them. And when, and when you synthesize them into what your practice is, you're so much more effective. And when you do that, your patience respond by talking you up. I tried marketing with the Yellow Pages once in 98. That was it. From 99 on, 99.9% of my marketing was word of mouth referral. So if you're going to rely on that, you better be able to achieve your outcomes and in order to do that, why not make use of the expertise that's around you? But you have to get the expertise around you, which means you got to hang out with exactly. other therapists. And that, that, because the, we teach courses here. So one of the questions that I always get as one of the instructors is, hey, do you take courses? And my answer is, not really. What I do is I create connections with people that know stuff that I don't, mm-hmm. and we hang out. 
yeah. and I I do this one on one kind of thing with them versus taking a course, right? Yeah. And now we just do it with microphones on. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, but I mean it's but it's interesting, right? If you're if you're really interested, for example, in in orthopedic assessment, you know, do the certificate of excellent courses. Do them. They're ten courses. They are outstanding, and at the end of the day, you will have expertise mm -hmm. in orthopedic assessment. Fantastic. Go for it. If you meet up in your CBN, you may begin to discover the stories that mesh with your patient base. So you may begin to discover that there's actually a cultural component to what it is that you're doing that you hadn't realized before. You may begin to find out that, you know, although you may believe a certain thing or a certain way of living, other people may not, and they may not actually be wrong. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you, you get to, to, to mature your own uh, knowledge, your own expressions, your own development. And that's vitally important. And I, I you know, the, the CBNs, which is why uh, they were my focus from almost day one in 2014. I think it was two weeks in, three weeks in, mm -hmm. where uh, I started to um, make sure that we got the reboot going. And now Laura at the office, Laura Fixman, our, our communications and member services coordinator, uh, has really taken over the uh, the CBNs and the administration of the CBNs, and she's taken it to a whole new level. It's great with the stuff that she's provided, and it's really, it's good. But But it needs cooperation, and it needs involvement by, you know, at the end of the day, if people aren't going to come out, exactly, it doesn't matter how you know what kind of buffet you have, they're not going to like the food because they didn't have it for sure. You know what I did want to ask actually because it just it kind of hit me when you were talking about the CMTO and their finances before. Um, can you give us an idea of what they're what they have done and what they're doing in terms of funding for accreditation. That's a really interesting and potentially touchy subject. Because I look um, at this in two different ways, yeah. right? Um, because I was involved heavily in the school system for a while, I, 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 I get it 100%. But then as a practicing member, for example, this is part of the reason why my fee is increasing. And I'm, you know, say two decades removed from school. Mm -hmm. I, I've, I've been working in this industry for, what do I care about what happens to the school system? Do you know what I mean? Like, yep. if I'm going completely the other way with it. Sure. Which I don't feel that way. No, I, and I, I, this is a question actually that, that gets asked a fair amount. Um, and the reason that you should care is because it's about the credibility of the profession. That's what it's about. And the whole reason that I took this job, frankly, uh, is because I'm kind of an altruist. I actually believe quite heavily in the profession. I believe in what the profession can be and what it can accomplish. If I take my eye off of that ball, then I can't do my job to advocate for the profession because what I'm actually advocating for is for the public and all of our stakeholders to turn around and say, massage therapy should be part of this conversation because it's effective, because the outcomes that it achieves are desirable. And the people who practice it are desirable because they're able to show that and they're able to do it. They're able to talk about it. They're able to provide me with the information that I need to understand it. So if we're not going to do that, then I'm not entirely sure why you would call yourself a healthcare profession. Um, you know, you can, you can go and, 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 you know, become an esthetician really easily in about six months. Without, yeah, I was, I was actually going to say the same thing. Yeah. You know, when it comes down to accreditation and education, sure, I've been out of school for nine years. Mm -hmm. I might want to relook at my diplomas. <laughs> um, sure, I've been out of school for almost a decade. Um, and it may not directly affect me, but it does directly affect me. Because if I want to be taken seriously, even by other healthcare professionals, mm -hmm. and want to be looked at on the same level, then I have to care about all of these new newcomers, these new RMTs that are coming in to you this do. profession. You do. And, and, Really, when we talk about accreditation, that's what we're actually talking about is the ability to, to say, yes, I can do what I say I can do, and I can prove it to you, and I can show you how that's accomplished in the curriculum that I've been through in order to arrive 
here. And from this point on, entry to practice on, I have this remarkably solid base on which to build my, the mastery of my practice and the mastery of my ability to deliver these outcomes to you, the individual, the stakeholder, the, the government, the insurer, whatever. If I can't prove that I have that basis or I have that, that base piece, why, why is somebody going to take my word for it? Really? You know, and I'm not trying to be um, nasty or not very nice or anything like that, but it, it does come down to when we go in and, and talk to people in government or people, at, you know, a Lynn or, you know, or, 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 or people that are part of the long-term care association, they want to know that the people that are coming in can provide them with something that they need, which are the, you know, which are the outcomes that they're looking for which is better health. So we need to be able to show that. And accreditation is part of that. It's not the whole, it's not the whole puzzle, but it's a, it's a significant part of that. And the CMTO recognizes that. Um, you know what I hope it does? I hope it shuts down a lot of massage therapy programs. We do an OSCE preparation as part of our courses. And I think you'd be shocked to find out some of the people that come through to take an OSCE preparation that have obtained a massage therapy diploma mm -hmm. from a college and they come to us and say, I have never massaged a person ever. Never put their hands on a person. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I honestly, I can't speak to that because I don't see it. I don't know about it. Um, I do know that when we take a look at the, the, the country as a whole, because I need to do that, um, because obviously one of the issues that the, the profession cares deeply about is the HST issue. Well, the only way you're going to convince the government to remove the requirement to collect and remit HST is to say, we're a valued healthcare in Canada. We are valued healthcare. Um, and no other healthcare provision other than a couple are required to do this because you recognize how important healthcare is to the individual person in the nation of Canada. By us still having to collect and remit HST, what you're saying is you're not an important enough piece of healthcare. That's what it translates to. Do me. you feel like it's got to do with, in that translation to you, that broad spectrum of massage therapy on one end is super service and on the other end mm -hmm. is super medical. And the majority of us sit somewhere in between. Well, yeah. And I, again, we talk, we come, we're come back to, to, to some of the language. My preferred language is um, clinically indicated massage therapy. And so part of the, and this is, I talk about this a lot actually when I meet with students and when I'm, when I'm at CBNs, for example, um, there is this idea, and I just helped to craft a, a position paper with the CMTA on this exact piece. Uh, this had to do with students practicing before graduation, which we can talk about another time if you like. Um, <clears throat> but when you, you know, when a, when a patient comes in to see me and says, I'm just here to relax, great. That's the patient's language. That's not the clinician's language. You can use the patient's language in order to communicate with them appropriately. You say, well, I'm, I'm glad that that's what it is that you're looking for. But really, as the clinician, your first question is, why can't you? What's stopping you from doing that? That's the investigation. What's stopping you from doing that? And how is that manifesting itself in the musculoskeletal realm to begin with? Once you recognize that, and you begin to approach it from that direction, there's no longer any difference between what this person does here in a spa and what this person does here, who's on the 24th floor of the building in a medical clinic. They're all clinically indicated massage therapy. The difference is the practitioner's approach. If the practitioner is approaching it as, oh, it's another relaxation massage, fine, get on the table, I'll just flip on some pseudo-Celtic music and <laughs> pass the coconut oil, yeah. you know, off we go. Um, if that's the approach, then I don't think you're actually going to achieve desired outcomes. And I, you know, and, and I don't think you're actually putting 
the face of the profession forward that you would like it to have. Even if that is not the approach, though, I know that I've I've been a client mm-hmm. at a spa, yep. and I felt as the client, the therapist wasn't even listening to what I was actually saying because they already had their treatment set out in their head yes. because they were used to doing these back-to-back-to-back relaxation treatments, but they literally had like a routine and it was a routine that was followed and they didn't listen to anything that came out of my mouth. Yeah. So, but that, but from my perspective, that's because they've bought into the patient's narrative, not the clinician's narrative. It's hard work to, to maintain a clinician's perspective. But nobody ever said that the profession wasn't going to be hard work. I don't think anybody ever, I don't know an educator yet that starts off their class by going, this is really easy. <laughs> this is like simply, in fact, you know what? You've all got to get out of here. Go have some lunch. Nobody does that. So why would we expect that, that our, our practice would be that way? Um, so I, you know, so, and I've had this discussion a numerous times at, the national table, um, because in some of the unregulated uh, jurisdictions, it can be really difficult because they're fighting with other associations that are in the same province that are not requiring folks to, uh, you know, to to do an exam. They're not requiring folks to 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 uphold the standards of practice at a certain level, and because those other folks are not, membership is easier. So they start to lose money when they hold things to a high standard. It's one of the advantages that the RMTAO has in Ontario because the CMTO actually enforces that or attempts to enforce it. Um, But it's it's honestly, it's a discussion the profession needs to have with itself. How does it actually want to be viewed? Do you want to be viewed as a refuge? That's fine if you do, but recognize that that's what you're that's what you're doing. Or do you want to be viewed as healthcare and healthcare that's not afraid to say, by the way, it also feels good because a lot of people conflate those two. They think, well, it's it's like, what's the ad? Uh, It works and it tastes terrible. Oh, Buckley's. Buckley's, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's like everybody wants to be a Buckley's, (laughs) you know? Yeah, yeah, I do massage therapy. It really, really hurts, but it's really effective. Well, okay, so probably not. Um, like but, there's, there's room, as you said, there's room yes. for different types of clinicians, but we do have to have that same type of narrative where this is clinically indicated. Mm-hmm. And even if, yes, you as the patient are saying, I want a massage, we don't have to bow down to be service. You people. don't. And we you don't, don't. We don't, don't have to say, okay, whatever you want, pick up my uh, buffet menu here and I'll yeah. do whatever you say. It has to still be a clinical conversation regardless of the setting you're working in. And we come back now to kind of one of the places that we started, which is about professional communication. You know, so I, that's a, it's a discussion that the profession needs to continue to have with itself and it needs to have it right across the country. Um, Cause you know, it's, if we want to affect change with stakeholders like the federal government, like the provincial government, like uh, organizations like, you know, the MS society, um, you know, the, the uh, uh, spinal cord injury, uh, 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 spinal cord injury Ontario. You want to have discussions with those folks. Those are serious people who deal with very serious issues and they would love to include massage therapy, but they need to be convinced that it's an appropriate thing to do because resources are limited. So how do we do that? And that's part of what the RMTAO does is we walk in and we go, actually, here's how. Here's one of the things that we can do. Have you guys ever been kind of turned away or dismissed because of the lack of numbers showing your representation? No, not nobody's been that rude to do it to our face. Gotcha. But when you're not included in a consultation at the the third or fourth round mm-hmm. of talks, that's an indicator that you know. Wow, well, we pretty much got you figured out. Yeah. Right, and then they they will move on. But that's and that's where we're making a difference now. Is now we're being included in those discussions that are happening at the third, fourth, fifth level. Like, for example, the fee advisory committee for uh, for WSIB. That's a direct invitation to the table where it's actually decided, and they will decide, and then they will, and then they will tell you. 
once they've had a full consultation with everybody at the table. If you're not at that table, you're not part of the final discussions around around fees, and 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 so your interests are not going to be top of mind. Let's put it that way. Um, we have the same thing when we went to see the Toronto Central Lynn, um, who I think I mentioned before is the administrative hub for the Lynns in Ontario. Uh, and they wanted to know about uh, about the opioid crisis, which I talked a bit to. They wanted to know about palliative care. Where do we sit in terms of palliative care? Um, and you, right now in Ontario, you don't really talk about palliative care unless you're also talking about home care and seniors care. So a lot those they all seem to come together. Um, and so I gave them the research that I brought with me. I gave them a, a number of different leave-behinds, and their response was, okay, we'll make the call so that we can get RMTs onto our advisory council. So are RMTs now going to be part of the LIN system or paid for by the LIN system? No, but they're going to have a say in how the LIN approaches musculoskeletal care. So it's not going to be everywhere all at once, but it's going to start. And once it starts and, you know, appropriate people are in the appropriate place that have the appropriate knowledge, that's when you start to gather some steam. So it requires for that to happen. But it doesn't happen unless you actually sit down and talk to these people. And you need to talk to the ones who can actually do something about it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so I would advise every single RMT, get to know your local MPP and your local MP. Go to their functions. Bring them to your functions. Invite them. That's their job. They're supposed to do that. You'd be amazed. They'll they'll come to something that you're doing quicker than you can say anything. They really will. They absolutely they will because that's their job. That's what they're supposed to do. We got swings put in on the playground. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I you ever watch the the sitcom The Goldbergs? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mark likes to call me Beverly Goldberg. <laughs> I am not. I am nothing like Beverly Goldberg, although there's a playground near our place, and there was no swings. There's all these little kids, and there was no swings. Right. So I wrote a letter. Hey, uh, there's no swings here. Uh, this was this letter was written in probably September. By April, we had swings. You don't get anything unless you ask for it. Yeah, and again, we're not talking about being abrasive. We're talking about approaching and saying, here's what we can do to help you out. From what you've said, this is what I understand is your focus. We can help you with that. And here's how we can help you with that. Is there anything else that you need help with that we can do that, you know, that, that, that we can assist you with? And they'll tell you. I mean, they do actually want to engage. All of those folks, not just the, the people in the legislature, but all of the people that are part of these other institutions, because their job is to serve their constituency, you know, their job is to serve the people that have MS, the people that are in long-term care homes, the people that are receiving home care, the people that are part of seniors care. That's their job. Right, and so they're going to want to listen to you. So they're, they're going to want to listen to people. You can do if you can help people. them, if you can help them, they're going to listen to you. So figure out how to help them. That's what we do. Right on. Right on. So how do we get this uh, past this 6,600 6, with students? How do we get this up? I dare you. I like it. I, <laughs> I like dare it. you. Go out. Talk to somebody who's not a member. Tell them why you're a member. Convince them. And if they tell you that it's too expensive, tell them that they can take it off their taxes. Tell them that it's worth it. Tell them that their liability insurance is worth it. Remind them of how much a lawyer costs per hour. Tell them that if they go through the treasurer portal. They can access those lawyers, and it won't cost them anything. I think if you've if you've heard this, you're and you're not a member of the association, you should have flipped the switch already. Yeah, this was this was really informative. Good, I'm glad. Yeah, I think yeah. it's all that stuff that no one no one knows. Like, I mean, I was just I was trying to find a particular post, like you know, someone who was on the uh, RMTAO Facebook group, and like, I'm considering renewing my membership this year, but I can't figure out what are the benefits other than the insurance. Yeah, yeah, stuff like that. So. Uh, yeah, and I mean, we, we try as, as much as we can to communicate what the benefits are. Uh, Laura, Jill, and Caitlin, are, are, they're, they're a phenomenal team. This, it's, I mean, it's great. I mean, you know, I walk in the office and go, what can I do to help? Because, frankly, they're all over everything. It's great. Uh, so I'm really happy. And they, I mean, they're creating resources and they're creating um, uh, information. If you want to find out about the benefits, Go on the website, go on the Facebook page. If you want to, give us a call. 
we'll tell you. Andrew, this has been awesome. Thank you for coming in. Greatly appreciated. I love all the information that uh, that you brought to the table today. Can you give us the information if anyone wants to get in contact with you or any member of your team? Where can they find you guys? They can find us at info at rmtao.com. They can find us at www.rmtao.com. They can give us a call at 416-979-2010. We're on Twitter. Uh, Just honestly, look us up. We're there. Right on. Thank you for coming. This has been great. Thank you very much, guys. All right, guys, you've been listening to two massage therapists in a microphone. Listen, subscribe.